millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to Puma Podcast. Do you happen to have a 20 peso bill somewhere? If you do, take it out and take a look at Malacanan Palace. It's right there on the face of the current bill and on the reverse of the older design. Malacanan Palace is part of our daily lives that way, but it's also our government's seat of power, residence of the first family, and a witness to important events in our history. It's part of who we are as Filipinos, but there's a lot we don't know about it. Because even though it's right in the middle of Manila, it's not really a place we think of going. You know, not like a museum. Many of us might have even been saying its name wrong this whole time. Is it Malacanyan or Malacanyang? We'll find out in this episode. And more importantly, we'll go where few have gone before to explore its rich history. I'm Sab Schnabel, a historian and the managing editor of an online magazine, Journalism. That's Journal IXM. I love old neighborhoods, old buildings, and old Manila. And I'm Siege Tantenko Malolos, a journalist and a history nerd. I love visiting historic buildings, but I've never been to Malacanan. Sign me up for a tour. And today, we're joined by a very special guest. Ako si Manolo Quezon. I'm a columnist for the Philippine Daily Inquirer. I worked for the government for two presidents, actually, and worked in Malacanan twice. And I was co-author of the official history of Malacanang. You can put your 20 pesos away now. Let's start the tour by going around the world. Since time immemorial, we have given prestige to our leaders and given them pride of place. Cultures all over the world have a special residence belonging to the state that is lent to their leaders during their term. Some of the more famous ones are the White House in the USA, Number 10 Downing Street in the UK, and Elysee Palace in France. These buildings are not just places to live. They are museums, monuments to the culture of the country they preside over. These official residences are judged on these two criteria. Because the older, the better. And then, gaano siya kalaki? Kung talagang maganda siya at maayos, impressive. On both scores, Malacanang is decent. Basically, kung ikukumpara natin ang edad ng Malacanang as a property na kilala ng tao at may connection sa pamahalaan and that sort of thing, it's about as old as the Royal Palace in Bangkok. So, contemporary sila, 1700s. And it's almost on the same level as Buckingham Palace. The Grand Palace has been the residence of the rulers of Thailand since 1782. And Buckingham Palace was, as we know from Netflix's Queen Charlotte, gifted to the Queen from the King in 1703. The first structure of Malacanang was built in 1750. This was before Marie Antoinette, before the United States. George Washington was a teenager. So you want it old? Check. 
In terms of size, not bad. It's two hectares. Alam natin, it's two floors. Yung roof deck niya is 1,175 square meters. Yung ground floor has 5,000 square meters of floor area. And uh, yung second floor has 5,200 square meters of floor area. And usually, foreign visitors find it uh, impressive, whether they're from Europe or anywhere uh, in the world. So, ang hindi lang natin natatandaan is Malacanang is new. Because basically, in 1979, for the 25th wedding anniversary of President and Mrs. Marcos, ang giniba yung lumang palasyo. And what we see today is pretty much almost maybe 75 to 85% 1979 onwards. Yung location ng mga kwarto more or less still corresponds to the old palace. Ginawa nilang mas malaki, bulletproof, bombproof, and with better ventilation. Malacanian is bringing some serious heat as an official residence. We might not realize how impressive Malacanian actually is. And that's because not many of us have seen it up close. Except on Instagram. Or in brief glimpses of televised events at the palace. It's in plain sight, but not accessible to you or me. No wonder we keep getting the name wrong. Let's get that out of the way before we learn more about the palace itself. Is it Malacanian or Malacanyang? Ang tama, pag ang palasyo mismo bilang opisyal na tahanan ng Pangulo, Malacanian Palace. Kung ang tanggapan ng Pangulo, ang tinatawag nilang metonym, yung parang shorthand or simple code, imbes na sasabihin mo tanggapan ng Pangulo ng Pilipinas, pwede mong sabihin Malacanyang. And when did all this confusion start? Nagsimula ito dahil nung panahon ni Pangulong Magsaysay, naisip niya na i-abolish ang palace part at ginawa na lang niyang Malacanang. But siya lang may gusto niyan and um, hindi dumikit. So ang naging resulta, um, like so many things, is a compromise. Pag pinag-uusapan yung historic building, it's Malacanang Palace. And then when you're talking about the office of the president, Malacanang. I was today years old when I learned that. Delightfully, that's not all there is to it. There are two stories of how Malacanian came to be. Yung parang naging popular explanation ay dahil naging bahay siya ng isang kilalang pamilya ng mga mestizo, mga rocha, na meron daw bodyguard na nakaharang dun sa driveway at sinasabi may lakan dyan. Ang mga Kastila mismo, kung tatanungin mo sila, at sila naman ang nagpatayo nung, nung building at kaya naging residence ng pinuno ng ating pamahalaan, kung titingnan mo ang location ng Malacanang Palace, parang nasa part siya ng Pasig River na nag, parang paliko ng konte So it's a part that sticks out. At ang kwento ng mga Kastila mismo noong unang panahon, nung wala pang bahay doon, yun ang lugar kung saan ang mga mangingisda nilalatag nila ang mga nakakatch nilang isda coming from Laguna de Bay. Kaya ang unang tawag sa lugar na yon mamalakaya. Ngunit, pagdating sa pagbigtas ng mga Tagalog words, medyo minsan hindi kaya ng mga Kastila. So for example, ang kawit sa ilalim ng mga Kastila, kavite. Di ba? Hindi nila masabi ang kawit. Naging kavite. So ang mamalakayan, 
lugar ng mga mamalakaya, naging malakanyan. Which explanation do you like better? The fish one, definitely. It's very interesting na sa pagdating sa mga Pinoy mismo, mas gusto natin ang grandiosong alamat kesa sa totoong pinanggalingan. Hindi ba? Because the truth is, it's mamalakayan. Di ba? But mas gusto natin yung idea na may bodyguard nandun na, di ba, hinahawi yung mga tao at sabi, may lakad dyan. Di ba? Dun, yun ang gusto natin. So, the mamalakayan transformed into the home of the lakan. But how did the house itself transform from the home of a wealthy mestizo to the seat of government? Yung simula ng Malacanang was as a parang vacation house. Ang EDSA nung unang panahon ay ang Pasig River, hindi ba? Yun ang talagang daanan ng tao and ang mga may kaya ay nagpapatayo ng mga bahay-bakasyonan along the Pasig River, di ba? There was a Spanish officer, Miguel Fomento, medyo pumunta dito sa Pilipinas. He did well for himself, nakatayo ng maliit na bahay, and then he went bankrupt. And dahil naging bankarote siya, kinuha ng estado yung kanyang bahay bilang you know, collateral for the lost loan. And then the Rochas bought it uh, at one point. Uh, the Rochas are still a prominent mestizo family. Naging bahay ito, bakasyonan ng uh, mga opisyales dahil yun nga, kinuha ang bahay as payment for unpaid taxes. And nag- nangailangan ang mga gobernador general ng Pilipinas ng bahay bakasyonan dahil uh, noon ang tirahan ng gobernador general sa intramuros katabi ng um, katedral. Ang sistema ng mga Kastila sa lahat ng kanilang mga teritoryo ay may plaza mayor, basically yung main plaza, at nandun ang katedral, nandun ang bahay ng gobernador, at nandun ang tanggapan ng ayuntamiento or city hall. But Intramuros was never a nice place to live in. Alam mo, mainit, masikip, maraming lamok, and so pag panahon ng bakasyon na lalo na pag summer naisip nila nang gumawa ng vacation house think about living in the middle of the city today only with more noise from kalesas and more interesting smells from the heat and the 19th century sanitation anyone would want to escape from that and at the time the area was a lot more rural better air and right on the banks of the pasig river in 1863 there was an earthquake And gumuho ang buong kamaynilaan. Gumuho ang katedral, gumuho ang palasyo del gobernador, and walang tirahan ng governor general. So, temporarily, lumipat siya dun sa vacation house nila, and then for the next 30 years, dun na lang naiwan. You know, from 1863 to 1898, dun na lang sila sa Malacanang. And that's when Malacanang, na noon ang tawag dun, posesyon, de Malacañang, yung, yung bahay sa Malacañang, naging palasyo. And palasyo is an official title. Kasi kung saan nakatira ang gobernador, yun ang palasyo. Kahit Nipahat, tatawagan mo yung palasyo. But Malacañang is far from a Nipahat. Malacañang, through all of its incarnations, ay traditional bahay na bato pa siya. In a sense, it's the most engranding bahay kubo ever built. Before Malacañan became the seat of power of the Republic of the Philippines, it was a witness to the revolution against Spain. Nung palapit na ang ating himagsikan noong 1896, the one started by Bonifacio, 
napapraning na mga Kastila. And they realize na, Tenga, there's something going on. We're not sure what's going on, but parang iba ang ugali ng mga Indyo ngayon. And so, they decided, kailangan tayo magpatayo ng bagong pader around Malacanang for security. And the one who got the contract to build the new security wall of Malacanang was a Katipunero. I mean, that's how infiltrated things were, okay? So, anyway, nung matatandaan nyo na parang may overlap yung katapusan ng buhay ni Rizal and ng simula ng ating revolusyon. Nung nagkaroon na ng, nagsimula na yung trial ni Rizal at meron ng death sentence, nagkaroon ng alamat na pumunta si Doña Teodoro Alonso, yung nanay ni Rizal, sa Malacanang upang makapakawa at hingin yung buhay ng kanyang anak. And the legend is, which everyone believed, was that umakyat sa hagdan ng Malacanang si Doña Teodora Alonso on her knees to beg for the life of her son. Lolo, that's the story he knew. The reality is worse. Nung dumating yung sentence na bibitayin si Rizal, his sisters went to Malacanang to beg for the life of their brother, but hindi pinalampas ng gate. Now, nung talagang nagkaroon na ng himagsikan, naisip ng mga gobernador general na it's not safe to be out here. Lumikas ang mga Kastila, they abandoned Malacanang and moved back to Intramuros. So in a sense, nagwakas ang imperyo ng mga Kastila where it began sa Intramuros kasi may walls. At the same time, this was in 1896, And as we know, yung the first revolution failed, and then nagkaroon ng second revolution in 1898. Nung nagkaroon ng second revolution, ang ginawa na naman ng mga Kastila, lumikas na naman sila sa Intramuros, and nung sumuko ang mga Kastila, sumuko sila sa mga Amerikano. So, agad sinakop ng mga Amerikano ang kamaynilaan, and that includes Malacanya. So, the Filipinos never had a chance to hold it. So, anong gagawin ni Aguinaldo? Then he set up a temporary, he hoped a temporary capital sa Malolos. At ang may plake pa hanggang ngayon dun sa kombento dun sa Malolos at yun ang unang naging tanggapan at bahay ng Pangulo. In 1935, nung itatatag ang Commonwealth, naging isang kondisyon na pinasok ni Quezon dun sa Independence Act na even ahead of independence in 1946, ang magiging Pangulo ay titira na sa Malacanang. Pilang pagpapatunay na tayo na ang magpapalakad ng ating pamahalaan. And so that's why Malacanang became the residence. In short, Emilio Aguinaldo was not the first Philippine president to live in Malacanang. Manuel L. Quezon was the first president who used Malacanang as his official residence in 1935. And since then, the palace has gone through a lot of changes. It's since been rebuilt in sort of a neoclassical style merged with Filipino and Spanish colonial. It is, much like a Filipino, a mishmash of different influences, but adapted to the needs of the area. Ang geography natin, bumabaha palagi, umuulan. So, palagi nasa second floor tayo, hindi naman ganun sa Europa, di ba? So, in that sense, it kind of fits hand in glove. Since 1750, There has been a structure standing where Malacañan does, and it has been an important seat of power through several changes in government. And you can feel that power just in how the palace is laid out. Ang sistema ng pamumuhay sa Malacañan ay ang sistema pa rin ng ating mga ninunon na ang lahat ng mga kwarto, ang tinutulugan, kinakainan, 
ay naisay taas dahil bumaba pa rin sa Malacañang at ang tambakan, ang lugar para sa katulong at lahat ng mga ganung bagay na sa ground floor na sila na lang mapapahama kung may mangyayari. And the main feature kahit ngayon ng Malacañang when you arrive is pagdating mo ang unang makikita mo malaking hagdanan. Umaakyat ka ng hagdanan bilang bagong pangulo at ikaw na ang titira at maninirahan at gagawa ng trabaho sa bahay na pinapahiram sa iyo ng Republika at ang huling gagawin mo bilang Pangulo ay bababa ka sa hagdanan para dalhin ang susunod na Pangulo sa lugar kung saan sila manunumpa. Pangalawa, bahay pa rin siya na ang orientation niya ay sa Pampang, sa Pasig River. Dahil yung kwarto na nakikita mo palagi, yung ceremonial hall kung saan may malalaking meetings, kung saan nanunumpa ang mga opisyal, kung saan may mga state dinner, yun ang kwarto na nakaharap sa ilog. And in fact, yung nakikita mong image ng Malacanang sa mga postcards, sa pera, dati nung nasa paper money pa siya, yun ang bahagi ng palasyo na nakaharap sa ilog. Ang Malacanang ay, it's a mix of official residence and private residence. So actually, may dalawa siyang hagdanan. May isang hagdanan na hindi masyadong kilala para sa pamilya lamang ng Pangulo. And then merong hagdanan na kilala ng nat dahil yun ang state entrance for the palace. And like many things, ang mga silid na official doon ay halong bahay at tanggapan. So pagakyat mo sa hagdanan, ang unang kwarto sa kaliwa, tanggapan ng Pangulo, the presidential study. Pagkatapos nun, there's a receiving room for the First Lady, the music room, kung saan siya tumatanggap ng mga bisita. And then comes yung ceremonial hall, kung saan, di ba, ginagrap ang mga seremonya. There's a big room in the middle, yung with the three famous Czechoslovak chandeliers. That's the reception hall. Nandun yung mga portrait ng lahat ng mga naging Pangulo, at doon ginaganap din ang ibang mga seremonya. And then finally, there is the state dining room kung saan ginaganap ang mga state dinners and ginaganap ang mga cabinet meetings. Whew, that's a lot of real estate. That's the landscape of power in our country. A bahay na bato, one with many purposes. We once did a book called Malacanang, the official history. And yung thesis namin, if you want to understand Malacanang, may tatlong aspeto siya. Premyo, pulpito, entablado. Premyo siya dahil pinag-aawayan ito. Ito ay premyo na makakamit ng sino man ang magiging pangulo o sino man ang magkakaroon ng control diba, sa ating sistema ng pamamahala. Pulpito siya dahil pagpanahon ng krisis o panahon ng pagbabago o pagsusubok, Tumitingin lahat tayo sa Malacanang para magkaroon ng pagkakaunawa, direksyon, senyales kung ano dapat ang mangyayari. And entablado siya dahil bilang lipunan, bilang republika, bilang estado, ang mga ritual ng ating pagiging Pilipino ay ginaganap sa Malacanang. Pagtatanggap ng mga pinuno ng ibang bansa, pagtatanggap ng mga rebelde, pag-aayos ng mga problema, kahit anong isipin mo, ang Malacanang ay ang entablado nitong lahat.
Even in a more practical, everyday context, Malacanan means a lot of things to a lot of people who live and work in it. It's a house, a venue, a symbol, and technically an office building. Well, several office buildings. Ngayon, Malacanang is a complex. So, merong palasyo, merong dalawang office buildings, ang tinatawag na new executive building na dating San Miguel Brewery dahil ang dating kapitbahay ng Malacanang Palace ay ang brewery ng San Miguel. And ito ay ginawang tanggapan ng panahon ni President Ramos. Meron ding isang lumang building and in fact it's the only building from the 1930s that survived which is now called Kalayaan Hall na ito ang old executive building dito dati ang mga opisina at mga meeting room ng mga pangulo. It's now used for museum purposes and as a reception area. Ngayon, sa tapat naman ng palasyo, there's what you call Malacanang Park. Dito, mahanap ang bahay pangarap kung saan mula kay Pangulong Noynoy Aquino, doon na nakatira ang mga pangulo. So, President Aquino, President Duterte, and now President Marcos Jr., doon sila nakatira. And these are recreation areas. So, may golf course, merong recreation hall and gym, and then the barracks for the presidential guards ay nandun across the river. Many of these areas were built much later than the original structure. And like Manolo said earlier, there were many upgrades made in the 1970s. So there's a bit of a ship of Theseus thing going on when it comes to Malacanian. If you aren't familiar with the paradox, it's this question about identity. If a ship is made of parts, and one by one those parts are replaced over time, is it still the same ship? In other words, with all the iterations and incarnations of Malacanian, is it still the same house as the one built in 1750? It may have gotten much bigger and much grander over time, but it's the Pinoy spirit of Malacanian that has stayed the same. When I would be in government meetings and kinukumpara ko yung sistema natin bilang mga Pinoy sa mga ibang bansa, ang Pinoy pag tumatawid ng kalye, hindi single file eh, na may nanguna at may susunod. We go in as a group, di ba? Always as a group. And we do everything the same way. Kaya ang mga kwarto sa Malacanang, kailangan malaki because no one likes being alone, di ba? And no one be, likes being left out. So you will see na kaya ang daming espasyo at ang daming mga lugar kasi kailangan siksikan lahat. Our presidents always want an audience. At the same time, gusto natin, nakadikit natin ang presidente kasi the worst thing to happen is hindi ka pala kasama, hindi ka imbitado, hindi ka naka-photo op. Diba? So, kailangan palaging may lugar para doon. And um, I always notice na pag kinukumpara ka ang mga opisina natin sa mga opisina ng mga katumbas ng mga opisyal sa ibang bansa, ang liit ng mga opisina nila because it's really just for a few people. Sa atin, kailangan buong barangay kasi. So, some presidents use it sparingly. Some pack in their entire entourage. And former President Duterte used it to stage his granddaughter's 80th birthday photo shoot. So it's a lot of things to a lot of people. And one thing it kinda has to be is a stage. Parang Pinoy, there's no sense of privacy. Lahat ng mga kwarto, isang mahabang pasilyo at parang may mga pintuan at pwede kang pumasok. At, alam mo, if you read about how Versailles and yung Escorial, yung mga palasyo na, na mga pinuno ng panahon na yun, 
parang ganun eh na daming osisero, ang daming umiikot-ikot, bulong dito, bulong doon, ang daming, di ba, um, nakikimiron. And in fact, that is the way that sinasabi nila ang sistema ng pamumuno nung hindi pa moderno ang panahon na kailangan magpapakita ka sa tao, kailangan makikihalo ka sa tao. Dahil doon nila ang kapangyarihan mo ay nanggagaling sa pagtanggap nila at sa pagbibigay mo ng mga grasya sa kanila. In fact, in the Royal Palace of France, regular people used to come and watch the royals eat. Marie Antoinette was so uncomfortable, she couldn't even enjoy her food. This is also why the late Queen Elizabeth II of the UK did her walkabouts to show herself to the people. And why you can tour the White House because technically, that's paid for by all the people in the country. But as always, here's a reminder of our colonial past. Our collective Pinoy culture collides with whatever outside forces assert their power and influence over the country. Ngayon, nung pumawasok ang mga Amerikano, nag-iba naman. Because the American and the modern system is what is private is private, what is public is public. And if you're going to do anything public, dapat may patakaran, may sistema. And what happens when that collides? You get what we have na may merong sign sa office natin na no noon break, but afternoon naglalatag pa rin ng dyaryo lahat ang mga nasa opisina para magsiesta. We still find a way to match, di ba, yung never-ending mula noon with whatever we feel is modern today. Um, and that's what you'll see in Malacanang. Malacanang, like any other place, is always alive and evolving. But what about the people who live in it? What is day-to-day living in the palace like? A perfect question for a former president's grandson. And the first president who lived there. Yep, if you haven't guessed already, Manolo is Manuel El Quezon III. You know, the funny thing is, I'm talking to my dad and everyone, and I've talked to the older generation of the other families. I can't find anyone who liked it. The ones who liked it was their dad. The presidents love it. But for many first ladies and the children of presidents, hassle. Chances are, our presidents had younger children. Talagang may mga kalaro sila, and then they would do teenage things. Uh, isipin mo lang, may kaibigan ka, tapos mag-iimbita ka for a sleepover. Di ba? Parang very awkward. And then, alam mo yung sistema din natin, um, there's very little privacy, and you're always on your best behavior. So there's that aspect of it. For the presidents, however, it's very important, of course. I remember a story that the, the Marcoses would tell me, some of the, the Marcos children. You know, Marcos would sometimes try to have a seance to communicate with his predecessors, diba? When he faced a particular problem. Because, you know, Marcos was a big believer in the occult, diba? Yes, you heard that right. Marcos was trying to communicate with the other side. Ooh. In a way, he believed the long memory of Malacanan would somehow help him converse with his predecessors, like Ang did on Avatar The Last Airbender. It just goes to show how important this particular place is for our seat of power. For other presidents, it gives you a sense of place, of security, because you're working in the same place where your predecessors were. So parang you're tied to them, kahit paano. I mean, this happens elsewhere. There's a famous story at the height of Watergate. 
si Richard Nixon paggabi at tulog na lahat would walk around the White House talking to the portraits of his predecessors, di ba? Kasi sa kanya yun sila lang nakakaintindi. There was this TV movie about Edsa and then they had Ruben Rustia playing the role of Marcos. And yung the last scene na very powerful was yung nung aalis na mga Marcos from Malacañang because of Edsa. Yung the last thing Marcos did was yung bumalik siya sa kanyang office and then he kissed the desk. Whatever happens, the presidency is both individual and collective. Every president has their own story, but they're part of a longer story. On the other hand, growing up in a house full of purpose and antiques must have been very uncomfortable for families with children or teenagers who want to express themselves. I mean, just think of all the movies that have been made about this very topic, from Roman Holiday with Audrey Hepburn to First Daughter starring Katie Holmes. Can you imagine everything in your house is a priceless artifact? You wouldn't be able to do anything. And you can forget swapping rooms or choosing your own. Everything in Malacanian is steeped in tradition. The same way that every first family is a family but is the latest only in a series of families. And kahit anong gusto mong gawin, the more you want to change things, the more na nararamdaman niyo mo yung bigat ng, ng tradisyon, ng expectations, uh, ng protocol. Yeah. And nung time ni President Quezon, you know, as the first Filipino president to really occupy it, does your family have any stories of what that was like being the very first Filipino president um, in Malacanang? Well, it's always through the filter of ayaw nila umalis ng kanilang bahay kasi yun ang bahay nila and then bakit pa sila kailangan lumipat, you know, from the point of view of the kids. Mrs. Quezon hated the palace because she actually hated city life. So, ang origin ng bahay pangarap was actually, it was built as a rest house because she really hated the palace. So, mas gusto niya na tumawid ng ilog dahil mas maraming mga puno at ano sa, sa Malacanang Park. And it's a much smaller house. At that time, it was only a three-bedroom place and mas gusto niya na, na manirahan doon. So, as much as possible. It was Quezon who loved building things that talagang expanded everything. So many of the things that you, we associated Malacanang, yung dalawang tore facing the river, the fact that there's a Malacanang Park, that the fact that there's a second floor dun sa Kalayaan Hall, um, the fact that there's two offices of the president, merong opisina ang presidente sa Kalayaan Hall, which is actually their daytime office, and then may presidential study, which is a working office inside Malacanang, was because of him, because there are times when he would have a relapse of TB, hindi na siya nakakapunta ng opisina, but then he can go to the office inside the house. Diba? And then that stuck with all his predecessors, because sa atin, the presidency is a 24-7 thing. It's not a 9-to-5 thing. So even in America, there's the Oval Office, diba? And that's the office. But sa sistema natin, kailangan meron ka pang house office and meron kang office office, di ba? And, and that's always the way in the way it's been. There's no privacy dahil ang sistema ng pamumuhay ng mga politiko sa atin is, um, di ba, kailangan open house palagi. Many families uh, would actually spend the weekend away from the palace sa sarili nilang tahanan, di ba? You'll not be so attached to it. It was only after martial law na naging secured area talaga ito na talagang pirmi sila doon. But again, that explains to you why President Marcos sent his children abroad. 
diba? Because there's no other way they could have had, even for a presidential child, a more normal life, I guess. So living as the first family has some serious clout, but it also has some trade-offs. It would be like living your life constantly on display, always second-guessing every step you took, because people could see you and they're watching you. There used to be a tradition in Manacanang na there were certain rooms that were for the president and for the first lady. And there was always more than one because kung natalo ang isang presidente, ayaw nung sumunod na tumira doon kasi malas. O kung may namatay na presidente, ayaw din tumira nung susunod doon kasi malas. But in the rest, there was always a tradition. So for example, ang anak na lalaki ng presidente, they all had the same room. From my dad to Bongbong Marcos, they all had the same room. If you were the eldest daughter, you had this room and the second daughter. They all had fairly small families or only a few lived with them. Nung dumating ang mga Marcos, sabi nila, yun nga. Yung kwarto, kalahati ng mga nandito, natalo. Yung kalahati, namatay. Ayaw namin either. So they built new rooms for themselves. But in terms of how they work and where they work, nag-iiba rin ang sistema. President Estrada, for example, never held office sa palasyo mismo. He was always in the guest house because hindi niya trip na pumasok sa, sa opisina, di ba? Gusto niya yung katabi lang ng kwarto niya. And, and so that meant everyone siksikan sila dun sa guest house. It's not all glitz and glamour in the palace, of course. What is Malacanian like for the people who weren't part of the family? You know, the regular workers who came in every day. Ang number one rule sa lahat ng lugar kung saan may punong ehekutibo, proximity is power. So, kung gaano ka malapit sa, physically, na malapit sa presidente, ganun ka, importante ka. So kahit malaki ang opisina mo, kung malayo sa lugar ng presidente, ibig sabihin, dekorasyon ka lang. Which means people in the White House, literally, yung mga ibang pinakama mahalagang tanggapan ay literally converted closets. Literally. Diba? Maglagay ka ng desk sa isang closet, but kung katabi mo ang Oval Office, you're really powerful. Ganun yun. Malakanyang ganun din. Every president has their own specific style of governing. Some are more aggressive, some are more lax, some run the palace like a military camp. Yung sistema ni President Ramos, He was super efficient and super hierarchical. So lahat sila naman dun sa new executive building kasi nandun siya sa tuktok. And then everyone was by, diba, by rank. Ganun ang sistema. Si President Cory Aquino did her office work in the guest house but then had her meetings in the palace. So Malacanian has changed over time because of each president's needs. But there's one thing that remains consistent. The language of power and influence. There's a big building called the Administration Building na isang napakahabang building sa isang gilid ng Malacanang with a TV transmitter on top. Doon yung mga office na hindi masyado political. Mga administrative offices, mga, diba, mga liaison offices, offices that are day in and day out but not really powerful. If you ask anyone saan ka tatrabaho at sasabihin nilang Malacanang, kailangan mo tanungin agad saan sa Malacanang. We now know Malacanian has had to adapt to every administration and the major shifts that come with them. It has to be a symbol of culture, a paramount of high culture in a country. Why did we keep it even though it's technically a colonial building? 
namana natin ang Malacanang mula sa mga Kastila at sa mga Amerikano. And then of course, there's always been in practically every country na, na dating colony, meron parang exorcism that happens where gusto nilang isantabi ang naging capital nung panahon ng mga sumako at magtatag ng bagong syudad. So, in Brazil, from Rio de Janeiro, they built Brasilia. Um, in Australia, it's from Sydney to Canberra. In Malaysia, they've built a new capital. Even in Indonesia, they're going to build a new capital, tiba. Malakas yung urge na yun. And we were included in that. So there was, of course, the plan for Quezon City. In the original Quezon City plan, kung saan ang Quezon Memorial ngayon, was supposed to be the national capital to ng Congreso. Where Veterans Memorial Hospital is, was supposed to be the new Malacanang. And then there was going to be another area na katapat noon, that was going to be the Supreme Court. Then there was a second Quezon City plan nung panahon ni President Rojas onwards. And again, Malacanang was supposed to be moved. Nung panahon ni President Marcos, there was even one proposal na yung reclaimed area sa Pasay was going to be the new capital. Ang problema, dahil di ba pinag-usapan natin na premyo, pulpito, at entablado ang Malacanang, oras na nakuha mo na ang Malacanang, you don't want to let go. And no president has ever wanted to go. Once you're in the seat of power, it's hard to want to leave. There is already so much history to the palace. It's one of our few long-lasting collective memories. Despite the historical baggage and the hassle to their families, most presidents quite like the place. Well, there was one exception. The only one was Cory Aquino. Diba? Talaga allergic siya sa Malacanang and she uh, didn't want anything to do with it as much as possible. Kaya tum- tumira siya sa Arlegi. Yung dating bahay ni Speaker Benigno Aquino Sr. nung panahon ng Hapon. But beyond that, as much as possible, ang uh, gusto ng mga Pangulo na manatili pa rin sa Malacanang. So even if Congress moves, even if the Supreme Court moves, di ba, the Supreme Court has been moving from one place to another, and kahit ang Kongreso natin kalat, Malacanang has never moved. And I don't know if it will ever move. Because sa isang bansa kung saan medyo short-term ang ating memory, Malacanang is one of the few long-term memory places talaga. Um, which shows you parang how maraming nagko-complain na masyadong top-heavy ang ating sistema na talagang palaging nasa Pangulo. But that's the way we are. So as far as I'm concerned, mas lalong hindi maiiba ang Malacanang as a place associated with the presidency. But here's the thing. If this house is supposed to mean so much to me as a Filipino, Why didn't I get to visit it as a child? Why wasn't I shown this place that is supposed to be this great icon of Philippine culture? Basically, why didn't I get a field trip? Yeah, what's up with that? Up to martial law, people considered it a right to be able to walk into Malacanang at any time and after. Before martial law, people considered it a right to go. Yung you could walk in and see someone, not necessarily the president, but talagang you would walk in and you could do it. And so talagang bukas sa mga gates and people actually remember the few instances na sinara ang mga gates na Malacanang. You know, World War II and that's about it. The rest of the time, it was supposed to be open. I've been to both the Blue House in South Korea and the Grand Palace in Thailand, but I only know Malacanang from pictures and TV. 
Pinoys don't get to see Malacanan in all its glory unless they're dignitaries. But this is technically our house. We pay for it. We're only allowing the presidents to live there. When I was growing up, I thought the palace was the most impressive place on earth because it has palace in its name. And that was something to be proud of. But I bet I would feel even more connected to it if I saw it as a child. Here's my hot take. With private quarters sectioned off, we should be able to visit the palace. In fact, it should be mandatory. Let the younger school children see what Filipino luxury looks like so that they have a Filipino version of official dignity to think about. Kung pupunta ka sa ibang mga bansa, halos kinder ka pa lang, dadaling ka na on a field trip. Where? To Congress? To the Supreme Court? To the White House? It's open to the public, not throughout the year, but at a certain point of the year. Bakit nila ginagawa ito? I think, first of all, number one is it's a basic democratic exercise na hindi ka naman dapat ma-intimidate sa isang lugar eh. Hindi ka dapat magkaroon ng feeling na madali lang na isaway ka dun eh. And if you're a child and you're brought there and you're welcomed and treated as an honored guest, I think it plants a seed very early on na I'm a Filipino. Ito yung bansa ko. Ito yung mga institution ko. Number two, if we are to have a sense na ang pamahalaan ay sa atin, na ang sistema for all its defects ay sariling atin, kailangan pamilyar din tayo sa mga institusyon. Hindi, hindi lang in the abstract yung mga nasa textbook, but as a place. I remember yung um, reading an account, and it used to be like that before martial law, na bahagi ng trabaho talaga naman nandun sa Malacanang was to take turns as tour guides because talagang darating na darating ang mga uh, estudyante, may mga delegations from the provinces, and all of them would be given a tour, di ba? As part of the hosting duties. And I felt na it's very important to somehow lobby for this. But you know what they say, if you can't take people to Malacanang, bring Malacanang to the people. Which is exactly what Manolo did during his time with the Presidential Communications Development and Strategic Planning Office, or PCD-SPO. He was its undersecretary, under the late former President Noy Noy Aquino. The PCD-SPO did this by posting about Malacanian extensively on social media, including the blog site Tumblr. Shout out to my fellow mid-millennials. What, what? They digitized old photos, shared on this day in history style trivia, and even put out memes. As a fresh college graduate looking for my place in the world back in 2012, having that made me feel much closer to my history. That makes me feel good as someone who worked in government. That's what we were really trying to do. We wanted to bring back that sense na, diba? This history is your history. Na this place is your place. And siguro if I'm just going to make any sort of appeal at this point is kung meron kayong maiinkwentro na congressman, sabihin niyo kung bakit naman hindi pupunta mga bata diyan sa batasan para manood ng session, para dalawin yung mga office niyo, para kausapin ng speaker. Uh, justice, bakit hindi pupunta mga bata to see how the Supreme Court works or kung meron kayong maiinkwentro na nagtatrabaho sa Malacanang or miyembro ng gabinete or one day if you meet the president say, um, why can't we see the state dining room? Why can't we climb the stairs? Diba? Why can't we see where you work? Kahit on a weekend, pag wala kayo dun. Diba? That, that would be great. And I think, kung magagawa natin yun, 
we won't be goldfish anymore. We'll start feeling that this is something na hindi lang tayo nakikimiron when we see something on TV. Ay, alam mo, pumunta ako doon. Alam mo, amoy amang pala yung ganung lugar doon. And that's how it works, di ba? That's how you bring it back to people. There's a British historian who came up with the phrase, the landscape of memory. Kung titinan mo ang ating kapaligiran, it's really not designed for a sense of place or purpose. Pangalan ng kalye, palaging pinapalitan. Mga gusali, palaging ginigiba. So in that sense, always in flux ang kapaligiran natin. One of the things I think that is important is to actually go and see the place. My first lesson about Malacanang was, I, I still remember it, I was maybe about eight years old. And we drove past Malacanang and my dad was driving and then he pointed and said, oh, you know, we used to live there. And then, siyempre, kwento siya. And then he said, but alam mo ngayon, tinan mo ang lungkot, nakakandado ang mga gate. And I said, bakit nakakandado ang mga gate, dad? And then, and sabi niya, because ngayon, bawal na lapitan ng president. So I think most people would really benefit from mag-sightseeing ka with someone older. Just do sightseeing and you owe it to the next ones coming along to remember what the older people tell you. Ah, alam mo, dyan banda, dyan kami gumagano noon. Yung gimmickan namin, dun banda. Alam mo ba ang ibig sabihin ng gimmick, iho? Diba? And then that sort of thing. And then that's how it starts. Malacanian began as a place for leisure and relaxation, but through the years, it transformed into something else, into Malacanian Palace, a symbol as much as a house. And as a reminder that it's not just a house, we also call it Malacanang Palace as a government office. It shows us the style and flash of what it means to be Filipino, while simultaneously showing us the pinnacle of what Filipino culture could be. It's older than the White House. It's been around since the 18th century. And its size puts it in the running with many other official residences. It's something to be proud of as much as it is something to reckon with. If only we had better access. So this is your homework. If you ever see a politician in the wild, ask them to make Malacanian tours a thing again. Pretty please with sugar Sige on na. top. Super please. Sige na please. naman po. Iyak kami. It's time for Quenta Corner. And today, we're debunking something weird from history. Yeah, this is one of the wildest rumors to have emerged from the 1950s. Some people thought that a certain Philippine president took the ostentation just a little bit too far and bought himself a golden arenola. Elpidio Quirino was said to have spent a lot of money on a golden chamber pot. Or did he? Malacanang was looted a little bit during World War II, you know, like so many places. By the 1940s, medyo marami ng kulang. And so President Quirino fixed up Malacanang and of course doon nagsimula yung Golden Urinaola story diba na hindi naman totoo pala but that's where it started because syempre yung ang publiko may expectation na kailangan magaling magpresenta ang ating pamahalaan diba we want things to look good but we hate spending for it diba so tuwing may ayusin or may gagawin palagi may magagalit and then it becomes big scandal there you have it. This rumor has been pretty thoroughly debunked. No one's seen it, and the rumor was traced back to political opponents of Quirino who wanted to make him look bad. Now, a simple Google search could clear that all up. See? 
That's why we need transparency. Transparency in governance means the people in power know we're watching. Transparency in historic buildings means no more silly stories about golden receptacles. <laughs> Class dismissed. If you learned something new in this episode, share it with a friend. Maybe get together and plan out a petition to tour Malacanan. Curious who our next guests are? Subscribe to this show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts to get sneak peeks on our upcoming episodes. And let's stay connected. Follow WhatsApp on social media. Check out Instagram at history.rebooted or facebook.com slash historyrebooted or Twitter at historyrebooted. Once again, I'm Siege Dantenko Malolos Puma Podcast. I'm on social media at Siege the Day. C-E-E-J the Day because I think you should seize the day. You can also catch me on more podcasts by Puma Podcast. Five minutes long is our show on adulting and practical life skills, while Go Hard Girls features amazing Pinay athletes. And I'm Sab Schnabel, Puma Podcast. I'm on Twitter at Sabrina Schnabel, that's S-C-H-N-A-B-E-L, rhymes with cable. You can read more from me at journalism, that's journalixm.com. This episode of WhatsApp Araling Panlipunan Rebooted was produced by Nina Toralba and edited by Joe Salcedo. Art by Trix Gasilian. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.